Well, church, happy Father's Day once again. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Bryce, and I serve here on our preaching team as our pastoral intern, and it is my privilege to be in this space once again with you on Father's Day. Um, When I was scheduled to preach on Father's Day, I wanted to make sure I heard that right because I'm not a father, Um, but I am nonetheless thankful because the Word of God is the Word of God, and I'm excited to share it with you this morning. Before we go any further, I want to have every father stand in the room if you're able to. We just want to celebrate you real quick. Go ahead and stand up, stand up. Let's give our fathers a round of applause. Y'all may be seated. What would we do? Where would we be without our dads? And uh, my, my dad is here. He's right in the middle of the room. I'm not going to make him come on stage or anything like that because I have something better, and that is pictures, funny pictures at that. We got two pictures on, st- uh, on, on the screens of my dad. This first one um, was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm actually about to head there when we're done today for a middle school trip, but um, this was at a place, no joke, this is what it was called, Fat Man Squeeze. That's what this place was called. And so we naturally said, Dad, I know you've been hitting the gym, but you're the biggest guy in our family, so we need you to try to go through. And he got stuck um, going through Fat Man Squeeze. Here's the second picture. This was at a uh, tea house in the area. Um, He and I are very similar, uh, except he is a full-time comedian. I'm a part-time comedian. And um, this was a funny hat that he just saw lying around and tried on. But my dad has been a huge role model in my life. He's someone that I really, really look up to. The reality with Father's Day is that maybe you hear that phrase, you walk into a day like this, and you think about your dad who maybe has passed on, maybe your dad is still living, but you just don't have the same kind of connection with your dad. And maybe this is a very uh, frustrating, sad day for you every single year when it hits. But chances are, even if that's the case, you've got someone in your life, maybe just one person, that as Pastor Faye was saying earlier, has acted as a father figure, has been a role model of some kind up close that you have sought to learn from. And today, I wanna look at a role model in the Old Testament. If you got your Bibles, we're going to 1 Chronicles 17. 1 Chronicles 17, there's a role model we're gonna talk about. His name's David, you may have heard of him. He did some incredible things, he said some incredible things, he was the king over all of Israel, and today he teaches us a few things that I want us to learn from him specifically. A little backstory behind this sermon. I was on a plane to Colorado, or from Colorado, Denver, Colorado, to Charlotte. We were visiting a friend out in Denver, a uh, friend of mine and I. We were on the way back on the plane. I remember praying out loud while we were on the flight, God, where on earth would you have me preach from on Father's Day? Where in the Bible you want me to go? And in that moment, I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but maybe you've had this experience as well where you feel like the Holy Spirit is pressing something on your heart, on your mind, on your soul so strong that you cannot shake it and you cannot deny it. And what I felt was First Chronicles 17 when David wants to build God a house, starting in verse one. Here's what the Bible says. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but... The Ark of the Lord's Covenant is out there under a tent. Now, this Ark of the Lord's Covenant was something that the Israelites carried with them symbolically of God's presence. And so, essentially what David is saying here is, I'm in here in this grand, amazing space for me to be living in this palace. But right outside, in the cold, is the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. And it's sitting in a tent outside. This doesn't seem right. What David wants to do is he wants to build God a house. But God responds, In verse four of this same chapter, he says, you, David, are not the one to build a house for me to live in. And then in verse 11, here's what God says further. When you die and you join your ancestors, 
I am going to raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong forever. He's the one who will build me a house. He's the one who will build me a temple, and I will secure his throne forever. You see, I think this moment in the life of David was a very, very crucial one. He learned that his son would be the one to build the thing he had been wanting to build himself. That was a promise that God made, and therefore it would come to pass. But now the ball was in David's court. How would David respond to this? Would he respond in frustration because he wanted to be the one to build God a house? Would he respond in disappointment and maybe even try to build the temple anyway? I think David's response that we're about to read about is actually above all of these. It's an incredible response in many different ways that we're going to highlight today. Because what David does is he seeks to live his life in the present moment now for the next generation. He seeks to live his life now for the next generation. If you need a title today, that's what we're talking about. Living now, right now, for the next generation. Whether you are a grandparent in the room, whether you're a parent in the room, whether, like me, you're a child in the room, the truth is in all of those scenarios, there is a next generation. It's a next generation that in some form I'm a part of. And if I'm honest with you today, I am burdened and I weep very often for our next generation. Because when I look around on social media, when I look around in our world and I look at our next generation, there aren't a lot of leaders. There's a ton of followers, but there's not many leaders. But if our next generation are followers, that's why it's important for us to be leaders. We have to live now so that the next generation receives an impact of some kind that is positive. That's what we're talking about today. There are three things in David's life that I want to highlight, but before we go any further, I want to pray for our time together, if you join me. Father, thank you for David. What an amazing role model he is. Thank you for the amazing things that you have said through him that we read about. Thank you for the amazing battles you've won for your people through your servant David. Thank you for what he's done as king over all of Israel, your people. And thank you for the space that we have now to open up your word. And Lord, even in my short lifetime, every time I've opened your word, transformation has taken place. God, that's what we're praying for today. We're believing for it today. That as we discuss your word, as we talk about what we can learn from one of your servants, David, would it impact our lives so that we ultimately could be used to impact the next generation? We give you all the honor, praise, and glory in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. There's three things that I think David did really well, in particular, that relate to our topic today. And the first one is this. David lived a life of true repentance towards God. He lived a life of true repentance towards God. Now, this actually comes before 1 Chronicles, where we just read from. And it comes in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. If you've got your Bible still open, I'd invite you to turn a few chapters before. This is where we see what true repentance is supposed to look like. You see, in 2 Samuel 11, we read about David sinning. This proves to us that he is a human being just like us. He's got sin in his life just like us. He sins with a woman named Bathsheba. He sleeps with Bathsheba who is the wife of one of his friends and men in his army, Uriah. And to try to cover up this sin, he goes to extreme, extreme places. He eventually has Uriah killed to try to make his problem go away. And eventually we are told that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And that's where we pick up. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
We're starting in verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. Then on the seventh day, the child died. You see, right before this took place, Nathan came to David. And Nathan said these words to David. You will be forgiven because you've said these words. I've sinned against the Lord. You will be forgiven, David, but your son is going to die because of your sin. And so then we pick up in verse 18. On the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, so what drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? When David saw them whispering back and forth, he realized what had taken place. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. And then David got up from the ground. He washed himself. He put on lotions and he changed his clothes. And then he went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. After all this had taken place, picture this in your head. Your child passes away and David's response is to go to the place where he can worship God intimately. I think this is what true repentance looks like. David said the words, I've sinned against the Lord. That is a confession. That is a recognition that I have screwed up. I have fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans tells us. I have missed the mark. I've stepped outside of God's path for my life in some form. But repentance comes after the confession. When we turn around 180 degrees, easy definition of repentance, turning around 180 degrees to walk in a better direction. You see, David would have had every justified reason from a human perspective to say the words, I've sinned against the Lord, hoping that when he said those words, God would spare his son. The Bible actually tells us that this is what David pleaded with God for, that he was pleading with God, praying to God, God, would, would you please spare my son? Don't let my son die for my sin, as Nathan said, would take place. But when his child dies, he doesn't turn back around and walk back into the sinful lifestyle. The Bible tells us he goes to the tabernacle and he worships the Lord. I believe that's what true repentance is supposed to look like. And let me speak from a child's perspective for a moment. I think one of the greatest things that I've ever seen my parents do was own their mistakes right in front of me. They own their mistakes right in front of me. I remember many times that when I was growing up, we would have family meetings. We had tons of family meetings about tons of different things. On many of these occasions, my brother and I would get called into the living room and one of our parents, let's say it's my dad, starts off the conversation and he says, Bryce Garrison, what I said to your mom a few minutes ago, or the way that I said that thing to your mom a few minutes ago, was not okay. And so right now I need you both to hear me say the words, I'm sorry, to her. Moments like that have stuck with me. Moments like that I'll probably, hopefully, never forget. Because moments like that are what true repentance looks like like, is supposed to look like. And I am a firm believer in repentance being able to build resilience. You see, because the more and more we repent of our sins, the less and less we want to run back to our sins. Because here's what the Bible teaches us. When we are tempted to fall into sin, and let's say we commit that sin in our life, maybe some of us have come in today and we've got some struggles in our life. We've got some sins in our life because just like David, we're human beings and we fall short from time to time. And so let's say we give into a sin and we say the same words, God, I am sorry. I have sinned against you in this way and I'm deciding to turn from my sin and walk the other direction. 
And we're walking in a better way. We're following after God's way instead of our sinful nature's way. But the more and more we repent after we're tempted to fall into sin and maybe commit that sin, the more and more we decide to turn around 180 degrees, we're going to be more and more convinced that the best way to do this life is with God, not without God. It's the best possible way to do life. And the more and more we say no to the sin, the easier it will be to say yes to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we'll see firsthand that our sin leaves us temporarily fulfilled. It leaves us empty eventually. And the only one who can truly fulfill us, I'm here to let you know, is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what true repentance is supposed to look like. I've sinned against the Lord, David says. This is something that we can practice in our families. This is something that we can practice amidst our coworkers. This is something that we can practice in every scenario we find ourselves in. I believe what the world needs to see, what the world needs to understand is what God's heart looks like. And one of the biggest pieces of God's heart is allowing, teaching his children how to say no to the sin. And even after we commit the sin, how to say yes to God once again. How to say, God, I'm sorry. The first thing David teaches us is true repentance. The second thing, though, is similar because it flows out of true repentance and it's participation with God. David teaches us what it's like to live a life of participation with God. And in his case, participation actually looks like preparation. This comes in 1 Chronicles, same chapter we've been in, but chapter 22, same book we've been in, chapter 22, just a few chapters later. At this point, God has already told David, hey, you're not going to be the one to build me a house, to build me a temple. That's going to be your son Solomon. And so what David does in response to that is he prepares for the temple to be built. That's what the Bible tells us. In verse 5, here's what the Bible says. This is David speaking. My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world. I will begin making preparations for it right now. You see, David was concerned, more concerned, with the temple being built than he was with who built it. He was way more concerned with the temple being built than he was with who would build it, which is why he was freed up to respond in this type of humble way. And something that I'm learning, church, personally, maybe you can relate with this, is participating with God in what he's doing in the world around us often will require us to play the background. There are very few times when we can easily give God glory if we're trying to keep glory for ourselves. It requires us to play the background. And what's crazy about David's story, as I was looking into this week, are the parts of David's story that we often think of when we say that name, when we say his name, are the ones when he's not far into the background. He's the one up front. He's the one who is king over all of Israel. He's the one who was chosen to be king as a shepherd boy. He was the one who fought off Goliath when nobody else in the entire army even wanted to come near this guy and put up a fight. He was the one who won many, many battles as king over all of Israel. He was the one who knew what it meant to walk intimately with God. And because David knew what it meant to walk intimately with his heavenly father, with his God, he was willing in this moment to still participate with God, even though it looked different. David was still willing to walk the path God wanted him to walk, even though he wouldn't be the one front and center anymore. 
He would be the one playing the background because David, like all fathers, all good fathers, they want to set their kids up for success. That's what David does in essence with Solomon. I remember when I was growing up, I played soccer all my life. I still do to some extent, not as good as I used to be, but I still play soccer. And when I was growing up, we would have club soccer games most weekends. But the weekends we didn't have club soccer games, there was this English Premier League is what it's called. It's a league over in England. It's probably the best soccer league, pro soccer league in the world. They would broadcast their games here in the United States, but because of the time difference, they would come on at starting at 7 a.m. And so on Saturdays, like any uh, child wants to sleep in way past 7 a.m., hopefully. But I wasn't allowed to sleep in past 7 a.m. on many occasions. And the reason was because my dad would wake me up in the morning because a game was coming on. We would sit down and watch the game together. We would even pause the game and talk about certain things that certain players were doing in the game that would positively influence my soccer ability. Now, my dad would tell you, he's here today, you can ask him when we're done. He doesn't know very much about soccer. And he did, did, did not growing up play soccer, like he, he did not play soccer, never played soccer. I've seen him play soccer. It is not a pretty picture. But when I started playing soccer, he wanted to set his son up for success. So what he did is he studied. He learned as much as he could. He watched as many games as he could so that on those Saturday mornings, he could set me up for success. That's exactly what David's trying to do with Solomon. But church, I wonder whether we're a father in the room, whether we're a child in the room, whether we are a grandparent in the room. I just wonder how many of us have been too focused on our own story, on us being the forefront of our story, that we have missed an opportunity to participate in somebody else's, to play a key role in somebody else's. See, David was more focused on participating with God, which also included participating in his son's life, than he was on being the main event than he was on being the number one, even though he had played that role on many occasions. I believe that uh, maybe for some of us, what this looks like is one of our children just graduated from college and you feel like there has already been a growing distance between you and their relationship and you're trying to figure out a way You're trying everything you possibly can to get closer to this child of yours. But what you keep finding is maybe today you've realized for the first time, I've been way too focused. I've been too focused on my own story. I've been too focused on me. It's been a selfish mindset. Maybe for you, you're a grandparent in the room and your grandchildren live nearby. It's, It's been a real blessing for you, but you just can't figure out how to relate with them. And you've been trying to figure out how to do it. And you've come up short every single time and you've been getting more and more frustrated because of that. And so now you don't even spend as much time around them because you feel like you know what you're stepping into when you do. Or maybe for you, it has to do with you and your parents that you've tended to be more focused on yourself in your own family context because of how you grew up and how your parents weren't in the picture very much. Maybe your father wasn't a good father. And now what you're fighting against every single day is that selfish feeling to be focused on me because I didn't get the privilege to focus on me or even have my father focus on me when I was growing up. Regardless of what scenario you're in today, I believe that what God wants out of each of us is to move out of his way so that we can truly participate with him. When we choose to repent, when we choose to participate with God, there's one more thing that flows out of both of those things. That's actually the foundation that's laid underneath both of those things in David's life that he teaches us about living now for the next generation. It's the most important thing 
in David's life by far. He lived a life of commitment to God. He lived a life of commitment to God. We read about this most clearly in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles. He's given some final instructions to his son Solomon about how to build the temple. He, as, as we've just said, David's made the preparations. Chapter eight come, or 28 comes, excuse me. And he's talking to his son Solomon. He's just outlined for Solomon, this is how the temple is going to be built. But above all those things, here's what I need you to hear. He says, Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart. He knows every plan. He knows every thought. If you seek him, you will find him. Church, if there's anything possible that we could pull from today, if you have tuned everything out, I need you to hear this. The greatest piece of advice, the greatest thing we could ever impart to the next generation comes in those final words. If you seek Jesus Christ, you'll find Jesus Christ. If you seek him, you'll find him. Out of the many things that David could have said to his son Solomon about how to keep advancing in his life, how to find success in his life, how to prosper in his life, how to gain wisdom as he eventually gained in his life, he says these words, if you seek him, meaning God, you will find him. I can imagine in this moment, David was reminded of all the amazing things that he had accomplished, how he was chosen to be placed on the throne of Israel as a shepherd boy, how he killed many men in battle and got applause for it. He was famous amidst God's people. He was one of the greatest kings the world had ever seen. But amidst all of those things, David decided to point to somebody way better. Because David, I think, was also reminded of his flaws, of his sins. And he said to himself in this moment, I don't want to point my son just to me. I want to point my son to someone way better than, than I am. I want to point my son to the person I've been following. The person I know intimately, the person I've been worshiping, the person that I have chosen to follow after, to model my life after. And that's what David does. He highlights the most important thing in his whole life is his commitment to his heavenly father. It's the greatest thing we could possibly teach the next generation. Commitment to our heavenly father has to be the most important thing. It's a principle that transcends many generations in my family. Maybe it does for you as well. It's a principle that I've accepted for myself. And church, if you've missed everything else today, allow God to remind you right now. Most important thing you could ever accept for yourself is commitment to follow God with everything you've got. Knowing that I'm gonna come up short and there's gonna have to be moments of true repentance. And after I repent, I'm gonna have the choice to either go back to the sin or keep participating with what God wants to do in my life and through my life. But there has to be a foundation laid. It's the solid foundation showed in the video a few minutes ago. Are you willing to build your family on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ? Today, I believe you have the opportunity to do that if you haven't in the past. It's not too late. God has given you this moment to do just that, to stay committed, maybe begin your commitment to follow him with everything you've got. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be able to follow you. We're thankful for the role model that David plays a part in in scripture and thankful for the chance to read about it. 
I'm thankful that we get to see that he's human. He's a flawed man of God, just like us. And I'm thankful that because of that, we can relate with him. God, I pray that over everything that's been said today, what would ring loud and clear and true in each and every heart in this room, including my own, would be the greatest decision we could ever make and impart to those behind us is to follow God with everything we've got, to commit to you everything that we have, knowing that it's ultimately not ours to hold on to. I pray that you would move us to a place of decision today, to take some sort of step today, regardless of what that step is. You'd remind us of the ways that we have been a good example in our families, to our families, to other families around us. I pray you'd also remind us of ways that we still have to see growth take place. Ultimately, we're thankful for the privilege to talk about this. We're thankful for the privilege to grow together as one body, as one church, your church. And we're thankful for Jesus Christ who has allowed us to do all this through his sacrifice. It's in his name we give you all the honor, praise, and glory. Amen. Well, church, since it's Father's Day, I was thinking about some sort of creative element that I could have. And I couldn't figure it out for a long time. And I was sitting in a sermon prep meeting with Melody Griffin. She was sitting next to me and she said, Bryce, wasn't your grandfather a retired pastor? Or isn't he a retired pastor? And I said, that's it. That's what we got to do. So my grandfather's here today. He's going to come and answer a few questions that I've got for him. I hope it's going to be helpful. I think it's going to be a time that we all learn something. So would you join me in, in welcoming him to the stage? So this is my grandfather, David Holdman. I know he looks just like me. He's got a little more hair than me, um, but it's okay. So I'm going to get his mic. And like I said, we're, we're just going to do a few um, questions and answers, Papa, and uh, wherever the Lord leads you, let's allow that to take place and, and just share with us some wisdom from, from, from your experience. So first question on the table, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you came to ministry, how you got involved in ministry, and uh, just anything you want to share there. Well, I come from a minister's family. My father was a minister uh, from the time that he was about 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had over 60 years in the ministry and uh, my grandfather. And uh, so they really inspired me, but I really didn't make a dedication to the Lord until I was about 18 years old. Mm. And at that time that I was attending, I was in my first year of college. Uh, I uh, was attending Lee University and it was at that time that I uh, really surrendered my life to God. And mm. I said, God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. Mm. And um, I will never forget that day when I did that. And the beautiful thing about it was that when I decided that, then God began to open some doors for mm. me. We had an outreach ministry uh, there at uh, Lee. And... Uh, one of the leaders came to me and gave me the opportunity to preach my first message. And so he asked me to preach in the Bradley County prison there in Cleveland, Tennessee. And in so doing, then I took that opportunity. Hmm. And I can tell you that was the first time. And I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, there was such a desire 
in my heart to do what God wanted me to do. Mm. And I'm glad I started that way because in my uh, soon to be 60 years in ministry in October, then the beautiful thing is that I always had a heart for the outreach. Mm. And I'm thankful that I had that opportunity. Mm. There are prayers that I pray mm. for my grandchildren. Yeah. I know that's one in my yeah. children. Yeah. That's one of the questions. There are prayers that I prayed for them. And I found myself uh, going into prayer for the grandchildren, but in so doing, then a part of the prayer was, God, give me wisdom. Mm. God has given us the opportunity, and he told us that if we will ask, mm. then he will give us godly wisdom. Mm. And that was so very important. And in doing that, then I knew that I wouldn't be right every time mm. with my children or my grandchildren. I knew that it wouldn't be easy sometimes, but I'm so thankful to God that he always helped me. There were times that I made mistakes and we can't, we have to realize we're going to. This thing of being a parent or a grandparent is not something that we really find easy to do. All of the children are different. But the thing about it is that God knows them mm. better than we know them so ourselves. Good. So good. And the beautiful thing is when we pray, and one of my prayers has been is for the protection of my children and grandchildren. We have mm. three sons, seven grandchildren. Mm. For their protection, I prayed that the right people would come into their lives. And that's where the wisdom comes in. Our children are going to have friends, and friendship is wonderful, it's great. But the wisdom comes in when we ask God to help us mm. and we pray, God, put the right people yeah. that's going to have an influence on their life <laughs> in them. Very quickly, let me say this. We don't realize the important and we don't realize how powerful our influence is. Mm. One day back, uh, our youngest grandson, Matthew, 10 years old, now 15 years old now. And uh, but when he was about five years old, then he was in the car and uh, my wife Janice had picked him up, uh, you know, from daycare. Yeah. And I accidentally left my Bible in the back seat of the car where he was. And Janice was telling me about this. He reached over there and got my Bible, and he said, uh, Nana, said, I'm going to preach out of Grandpa's Bible. <laughs> and so he had yes. that Bible. And uh, then he looked down, and he said, Nana, he said, why is Papa coloring in his Bible? <laughs> I would make little remarks and, you know, so forth. But I then began to realize that there's so many, it's not always the great things, but so many little things that are so important to us. So good. You want to go ahead and ask? Stop me anytime. Listen, I, so what I've learned so far is 
you're, you can color in your Bible, just don't leave it near your grandchildren or your children. They, they will make fun of it because um, I totally color in my Bible. Um, but the, the, the only other question, I guess there's two more questions. The mm-hmm. first one is what would you tell someone who's trying to be a biblical reflection of a parent? I think I would take them to the 15th chapter of St. Luke where Jesus gave the parable. Yeah. And in that parable, then it mm. tells of a young yeah. man, a prodigal son. Mm. He left home. And many of you will know the story of the prodigal son. But he left and he said, I want my inheritance mm. now. Yeah. And the thing about it, that father and our heavenly father, of course, is the one that really cares for us. Mm. There's many applications that could be made Mm. in that parable. But our Heavenly Father is one that really gives us knowledge and understanding. And he's our great example. But the story here is that that earthly father of the prodigal son Mm. knew what to do. He knew what was best for his son. And it's not always that when our son comes to us or our daughter comes to us, that we uh, know know, what to say. But he made a decision that day that was a very very difficult decision to make. I like that. When his son came to him, he said that he could go. And he had enough wisdom to know that when he did that there would be a dad Mm. that would be praying for him. So good, so good. He did know that his son loved him, Mm. but at the same time, his son would learn to love him more Mm. because of the situations that he would go through. Mm. And I believe every day that he would look for his son to return and come back home. Mm. And perhaps you know the story Mm. when he came back that day. And the word said when he came unto himself, then he decided, I want to go home. Mm. And as you said this morning, Mm. he prayed a prayer of repentance. And he said, Father, said I've sinned against you. And God, you know, the the father said, kill the fatted calf. And, and, you know, we're going to have a time of celebration. Mm -hmm. My son, which was lost. It's home. So good. And I so guess good. we better go to the third question here. <laughs> Listen, so Papa's going to preach next service. Um, if, if, if you guys want to hang around, we'll, we'll fill this room with praise. It's going to be incredible. So two questions for you. One of them is a funny one that we may get to. Here's the last one okay. um, on our list. One piece of advice, just one piece of advice that you would give any father in the room or watching online today. Just one piece of advice. One piece. That's been helpful for you. Very quickly. I believe that I would give any father this advice. The thing that is so important to life, in life, and in parenting, is that uh, knowing what to do, when to do it. Hmm. And I think it's so important for the father to instill in his children the love that he has for them. Mm. I remember when I was about five, or when I was about five years old, 
My dad pastored a church in Glade, Morgan, Morgan Virginia, Wise mm. County. And in that town, we, my dad pastored a, a country church. There were only two churches in the town. And as a five-year-old, then on Sunday evening, when we had the Sunday evening evangelist service, evangelistic service, Sunday night service, then I would usually lay on the pew and go to sleep. And after the service and everybody left, because we lived in the parsonage, which was within walking distance of the church, I remember dad would wake me up in the darkness of night as we went outside. And I have to tell you that I was afraid. Mm. And the beautiful thing that I remember as we walked, then dad would reach down and take a hold of my hand. Mm. He seemed to understand, yeah. he seemed to understand. And as we walked together, then I remember the confidence mm. that was instilled in me that dad loved me mm. and he was going to protect me. And I didn't have to be afraid mm. because I knew that he would there, yep. be there. Yep. And when our children are right or wrong, we must remember that we were in that place one time. Mm. Good. And when that is the situation, then we know that he's strong. Yeah. We know that he loves us. Yep. I preached a message with our son, the pastors in Naples, Florida, one time, somewhat like we're doing here nice. now. And I remember that message was twofold. I'm your father, hmm. it's my part. You're my son. And I love you. Mm. I love you. That's good. His part of the message was, I'm your son. Mm. And you're my father. Yeah. And I love you. So good. And Bryce, let me close by saying I'm mm. proud of all of our seven grandchildren. Yeah. We have one great. Yeah. All of them are serving the Lord and mm. being brought up in a Christian at home. Yeah. And we are very proud of all of them and you and Garrison and they are going forward in yeah. the work of the Lord. So Proud good. of you. So good. Hey, can we give my grandfather a round of applause? Well, he's, I can take that from you. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, thank you. You know, my grandfather, my dad who's here, it's a great picture of a generational lineage that I'm proud of and I'm proud to be a part of. And I look up to those individuals and many others in my life so much in so many ways. I even look up to David, who we talked about today. I've, I've studied him for a lot of my, my life. But you know, each and every one of those men that I look up to, they've got one thing in common. They're all flawed, just like you and I. And therefore, they aren't the perfect model. They're a role model, but they're not perfect. None of us are. But what's crazy is as I was doing my studying this week for this message, I was reminded of David and his lineage. And that the Bible makes it really clear that generations later, there was this baby that was born in Bethlehem and there was a lot of talk around this child and who he was gonna be, who he was. And when he grew up to about the age of 30, he became a minister. 
He began ministry publicly to everywhere he possibly could go in that area. And he was speaking incredible things that captivated and convicted those listening. He was doing incredible things. He, he worked miracles. He saw healings. He raised a dead man back to life. But then the unthinkable took place. After this man who lived a perfect, sinless life, walked a road to a cross just like that. And as he's walking across the road, he's carrying the cross with him. He puts the cross down. He gets on the cross. And the Roman rule around him crucified him because the Jews around him said it was okay. The world that God himself had entered into didn't recognize him when he came. And so this child who was born raised up into a minister and did incredible things died. And all hope was lost for about three days. And then three days later, hope came back to life. And in that moment, in that one moment, I think God showed us something that we get the privilege to read about. He showed everybody who was willing to see it. Perfection, the perfect model, is not just able to be seen. It's not just able to be witnessed from afar. You can have a personal encounter with it. And even though you and I are not perfect, I think God's task is very simple for us in this life. Whether we're a grandparent, a parent, a child, regardless of what we would define ourselves as, is to be a reflection. But the only way that we can be a reflection of Jesus Christ is to know him on a personal, intimate level. It's the same thing David asked of his son Solomon. If there's one thing I can impart to you, Solomon, it's that you would know your God intimately because that's the greatest decision that you could ever make. I'm here to let you know two things this morning. The first one is that our altar is about to be open as we close this in this last song of blessing. And I wanna invite you forward if you wanna pray any sort of prayer. Maybe today the, the prayer you're praying is, God, I have been walking so close to sin, just like David did, and I need to turn in repentance. And I wanna say, I'm sorry, and just walk back to the cross. Maybe that's your prayer today and you come to know Jesus Christ on a personal level, maybe for the very first time. Maybe this is for the thousandth time that you've had to say this prayer and that's okay. Maybe for you, it's a different prayer. It's God, I've wanted to be an accurate reflection so that I can be the father you want me to be, the grandfather you want me to be, the spouse you want me to be, but I have fallen short and I need you to forgive me and remind me that it's okay that I don't have to be perfect. You know, one of the most freeing things that I've realized about my life in the short time I've been here is that when I feel the most burden, it's when I'm trying to be Jesus. When I feel like I have the burdens released from my shoulders, it's when I try to reflect them and teach people about him, what he looks like, what he acts like, what he sounds like. Today, the altar's open for you. I'm gonna come down and pray a prayer myself. And the prayer I'm praying is for my next generation, the generation I'm a part of that's in chaos right now. I would invite you to join me on the altar, praying a prayer that God's been stirring in your heart right now. Would you receive this song, whether you stay in your pew, whether you come bow before God on the altar, would you allow this song to be sung over you as a true, magnificent Father's Day blessing? Let's pray.